You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hello. Well, it's been quite a week. I'm going to quickly address this, and then I promise I won't mention it again. For anyone who doesn't know, The Secret History of Hollywood was featured on the front page of iTunes in the UK and Ireland. Still cannot quite believe it. Uh, What followed over the next seven days was something of a whirlwind. The show quickly shot up the iTunes history charts, reaching number one and staying there for much of the week. On the main all-categories charts, it peaked at number nine. (laughs) I cannot begin to tell you how surreal it was to see the secret history of Hollywood sitting alongside Hardcore History and Tim Ferriss and Serial and This American Life. It has been overwhelming, to be honest. I've spent most of the week in a bit of a daze. Don't get me wrong, I have absolutely no doubt that it will float away down the charts soon. After all, the next episode won't be out for a little while. But if anyone at iTunes is listening to this, you've made a classic movie lover very, very happy. Thank you. Right, on with the show. Ralph Edwards' permission, I'm going to play Truth or Consequences with the audience here in the studio. Would you like that, folks? Okay. All right, now, here is the question. How many empty Pat's Blue Ribbon bottles have you returned to your dealer during the past week? How many? Eighty-four. Why is everyone looking at me? What? It's not my fault I drink so much Pap's Blue Ribbon. Have you heard the catchy Paps Blue Ribbon song? It makes you a cowboy. In Texas on the Rio Grande, the cowboys have a favorite brand. They serve it at your local bar. Sing out, partner for PBR. What you have? Paps Blue Ribbon. What do you have? Paps Blue Ribbon. What do you have? Paps Blue Ribbon. Paps Blue Ribbon, dear. It even gives you a foolproof way to sleep with waitresses. When a waitress glides up to your place with a pretty smile Upon her face, here's the way to really romance her. Give her that Pabst Blue Ribbon and her. What you have? Pabst Blue Ribbon. What do you have? Pabst Blue Ribbon. What do you have? Pabst Blue Ribbon. Pabst Blue Ribbon, dear. Smoother, smoother, smoother flavor. Just a sparkle, million flavor. Taste that smoother, smoother flavor. Pabst Blue Ribbon, dear. Finest beer served anywhere. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Prove it yourself. With a three-way expert's test. One, your eyes are pleased with that blue ribbon clearness and sparkle. Two, your nose is teased with the aroma of blue ribbon hops. Three, your life expectancy is decreased with every golden drop. Finest beer, sir. Anywhere. That's blue ribbon beer. Hey, guess who's finally come up with a theme tune? My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you, I thank you. It'll do for now. 
First up, a hearty thank you to Wilson McEll, who's been preaching the word on Twitter. Amen, my brother. I bestow upon thee the mightiest of Canterburys. Canterbury. Secondly, I just wanted to give a quick thank you to my fellow pod pals. And if any of you guys aren't listening to these shows yet, do yourselves a favor and populate your lists with Stinking Paws, Weekly Geek Speak, A History of Misunderstanding, Nerd Church, Mating Habits of the Modern Geek, Anywhere But Here, and all the other shows you can find by searching for the hashtag PodPals. Rapid Fire Machine Gun Canterburys. Peter Mahoney, thanks for the email, and good luck with your dream job. Now return to your wife and daughter, armed with this picturesque English cathedral city. And lastly, thank you all for the iTunes reviews you've been flinging up in the past week. You're awesome. Catch. And to Moonaline, whoever you are, your iTunes reviews cracked me up. What do you have? Paps Blue Ribbon, please. Boxer band fights hard and fair. So in the ring, you kids beware. He's dynamite because he knows. He's got go power from Cheerios. Yes, he's got go power. There he goes. He's feeling his Cheerios. 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 Can someone give her a nudge, please? That makes sense. Thank you. Try Cheerios, the wonderful oat cereal that's shaped like a little letter O. So enjoy your breakfasts every day with delicious Cheerios and milk. And get that good go power. Then folks will say... He's feeling his Cheerios. So this week... Cheerios. Cheerios. So, this week, my heart belongs to Basil Rathbone, one of the most charismatic screen actors of the Golden Age. Whether he was playing a romantic lead or a villain, something magical happened whenever he was on screen. I could give you a brief history of the man, but I've kind of covered that already. So, if you want to know more about him, you can go back and listen to episode 6, The Game is Afoot, which will give you a better idea of his history. For today, However, I thought I'd tell you about a few Basil Rathbone films because he was an absolute gift to cinema. There's something so reassuring and comfortable about seeing his name in the opening credits of a film. The quality is instantly raised by a few hundred percent. I absolutely adore the man. So the first film is a very creaky old thriller from 1937 entitled Love From A Stranger. This stars Anne Harding as Carol, a girl who wins a fortune on a lottery ticket. As she's planning what to do with it all, she meets the very charming Gerald Lovell, played by Basil Rathbone. It isn't long before Carol is smitten with the dashing Lovell, and seizing the moment, they marry and embark on a whirlwind honeymoon, leaving Carol's friends and family in the dust. I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. Perhaps I made a mistake leaving Carol alone with him. If I'd have stayed there, she might not have married him. Then you are worried. What should have been a marvellous adventure, though, soon takes a darker turn. Upon returning to England, Gerald moves Carol to a remote house in Kent and subtly begins to isolate her, gently insisting that her family leave them in peace to their own happiness. 
He then sets up a dark room in the cellar, a room that he expressly forbids anyone from entering. And when Carol does so, he violently lashes out at her. Then, whispers begin to emerge about the disappearance of a man named Fletcher, a maniacal serial killer who murdered three of his wives by isolating them from their friends and families and then poisoning them with chemicals very similar to those used by photographers. Rathbone had played many villains in his career up until now, but none as downright psychotic as this. It's a rather grand performance, really, as he begins the film as a dashing romantic lead and ends it as a foaming lunatic. When the house agent told me that you were letting your flat because you'd won the lottery, I knew that you would be looking for some escape, some romantic escape. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, I'm sure. Oh, because you know how, how much it interests me. No woman ever tires of hearing how a man came to fall in love with her. <laughs> no, of course she doesn't, does she, my treasure? And ours was a real romance, wasn't it? <laughs> Just what you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a shame that the thing takes so long to get going. Gerald and Carol don't arrive at the house until well after halfway into the film. The first half is spent with Carol and her family and their suspicions about Gerald, which is obviously needed, but get on with it. It's based on a Frank Vosper play, which in turn was based on Agatha Christie's short story, Philomel Cottage. And it certainly does justice to its source material. It just could have done with some earlier injections of suspense instead of spending a good 40 minutes on a very standard, very bland setup. Once we're in the house though, the suspense really kicks in and the whole thing ends with a superb climax as Gerald almost chases Carol around the house trying to do away with her while she searches frantically for a way to escape the locked doors and windows. There's a scene in which she manages to fling open a door to escape but finds a nasty surprise that almost made me choke in fright. All in all, definitely worth checking out, especially if you want to see Basil Rathbone as a very different type of villain. What do you have? Perhaps Blue Ribbon, please. The next film is entitled Sin Takes a Holiday. Rathbone kind of plays second fiddle in this, but it's worth mentioning because he's a romantic interest for someone and he doesn't lose a sword fight. Let's... Get one thing out of the way. The main character's name is Gaylord. Now, I'm far too mature to pounce on this kind of thing. Besides which, I think Gaylord is a very nice name for a man. Anyway, this is the tale of Sylvia, a meek working-class secretary, played by Constance Bennett, who works for serial Lothario Gaylord, 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 Gaylord. Stanton, and who harbours a secret crush on her fabulously wealthy boss. When one of Gaylord's conquests announces that she's divorcing her husband and naming Gaylord, Gaylord, Gaylord as co-respondent and declaring her intention to marry Gaylord, Gaylord when she's free, he panics and in desperation Gaylord, Gaylord asks Sylvia to marry him in name only. I have a proposal to make which may brighten your future a little. Marry me. What? 
I said you could help yourself by marrying me. You're asking me to marry you? Just that. You heard how Sheridan manages? Well, I want some of the freedom and security that he has. Now, you'd have more money than you have now, lots of nice clothes, and a chance to travel. Mostly travel. She agrees, hoping that it means true love. But then Gaylord ships her off to Europe so that he can carry on with his Lothario life. While in Europe, Sylvia meets Gaylord's friend, Reggie Durant, played by Basil Rathbone, who attempts to sweep her off her feet. But emboldened by her newfound confidence, Sylvia returns to the States and sets out to win over Gaylord. Gaylord. If she does marry you, I hope she makes you very uncomfortable. Thanks, but she won't. She's the most gracious, most charming, the best humoured. Yes, I know, I know, I know. I'm quite sure you don't, but it doesn't matter. Well, it was nice of her to come all the way back here to settle things fairly. Huh, you mean uh, just to see you? Well, put it that way if you want. Well, she didn't. She returned to New York to see someone that she was once in love with. She wasn't in love with anyone when she married me. Are you sure? Quite. I don't believe it. So let me tell you. I'm not you. interested. You're not capable of knowing anything about a girl as decent as Sylvia. <laughs> When did you turn angelic? The first thing that you probably noticed about the film from the clips I've played is that the acting is quite appalling. In fact, at some points, it was like watching a school nativity. That's not usually a deal breaker for me because in most cases, there's something that dazzles the eye to draw attention away from the lesser qualities. Basil Rathbone is absolutely that thing in this case. He is literally the only decent thing in this movie. It is thunderously dull. There is not one inventive camera shot in the film. It's all filmed from a distance and the whole thing is the dictionary definition of drawing room comedy. The characters meander from room to room, speaking badly, clutching each other and mumbling overwritten lines. It's terrible, terrible stuff, but whenever Basil Rathbone sweeps into the film, he can't help but grin. The only problem is that his hair is a little bouffant, and he holds his hands rigidly at his sides and stands very upright. It's quite odd. He almost looks like a young Mr. Burns. And if that doesn't make you want to see it, then I don't know what will. Lastly, Good God, is the easiest film I've ever reviewed. You know it, I know it. I know that you know it, and you know that I know that you know it. It's nothing other than the greatest swashbuckler of all time. The Adventures of Robin Hood. Did I upset your plans? You've come to Nottingham once too often. When this is over, my friend, there'll be no need for me to come again. Errol Flynn plays Robin Hood, a Saxon knight and outlaw leader of a rebel guerrilla army, fighting back against the oppressive rule of Prince John, who seized the throne in his brother Richard III's absence. You call me traitor? You? Yes. And every man here who offers you allegiance. What else do you call a man who takes advantage of the king's misfortune to seize his power? And now, with the help of this sweet band of cutthroats, you'll try to grind a ransom for him out of every helpless Saxon. A ransom that'll be used not to release Richard, but to buy your way to the throne. And what do you propose to do? I'll organize revolt, exact a death for a death. And I'll never rest until every Saxon in this shire can stand up, free men, and strike a blow for Richard in England. Have you finished? I'm only just beginning. From this night on, I use every means in my power to fight you. 
I don't need to tell you that this is one of the greatest films ever made. Everything about it is absolutely sumptuous. The sets are gargantuan and crafted to the smallest detail. It features countless actors, all dressed to the nines in resplendent costumes. The script could have been lifted from the original Robin Hood legend. The action is epic, the set piece is legendary, and it has a glowing vein of humour running throughout. Why you speak treason? Fluently. The heroes are heroic. The villains are all snivelling and evil. It bursts with breathtaking technicolour. And if all that wasn't enough, the cast is one of the finest ever assembled. You have Flynn as Robin Hood, Olivia de Havilland as Maid Marian, Claude Rains as Prince John, Basil Rathbone as Guy of Gisborne. Then you have Patrick Knowles, Eugene Pallette, Alan Hale, Melville Cooper, Una O'Connor, Harry the Henchman Cording. So many stars. Even Maid Marian's horse is played by Bloody Trigger from the Roy Rogers film. Robin Hood films only ever work if they're fun, adventurous and romantic and exciting. That's why Prince of Thieves works so well and that's why this version is the greatest of them all. Robin Hood's not meant to be serious and thought-provoking, it's meant to make you smile and punch the air. So what if all the men are wearing tights? So what if Robin Hood's costume has little diamantes sewn onto the frills? So what if they use California as Sherwood Forest? You'll be too busy foaming at the mouth in joy to worry over the details. You know any prayers, my friend? I'll say one for you. Seriously, I know you've probably seen it already, but don't you think it's time you racked it up again? And if you haven't seen it yet, then there is a colossal hole in your movie watching history. Fill it as soon as you can. To make it easier for you, it's this week's film club choice, so swing on over to attaboyclarence.com and click on film club. Well, as this is Basil Rathburn week, you're in for a treat. I've been dying to show this radio show to you as it's one of the most fantastic things I've ever heard. This is a mystery thriller comedy show entitled Tales of Fatima and revolves around one man's double life. His day job is as an actor, but when the sun goes down, he becomes a private investigator, bringing all manner of murderers and criminals to justice. So far, so conventional, right? But what if I told you that Basil Rathbone is the man in question? And not just that, he is playing himself. <laughs> That's right. This is a show in which Basil Rathbone plays himself, an internationally renowned actor and ladies man who, when the curtain goes down, investigates crime as Basil Rathbone. Honestly, me telling you about it doesn't do it justice. Listen for yourselves, it's one of the best things you'll ever hear. Unfortunately, only two episodes are known to survive, so you are getting them both. The first is entitled Time to Kill, and that'll be followed by a much expected murder, so I'll see you on the other side. Hello there, this is Basil Rathbone. I'm so glad you can be with Fatima and me tonight. She helps me solve a surprising mystery that had in it several sounds of music. And several sounds of murder. Oh, 
The Tales of Fatima, a new series of exciting mystery stories starring that distinguished actor, Mr. Basil Rathbone. Before we begin tonight's tale, I've got something to suggest. If you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the new long Fatima. You see, the name Fatima has stood for the best in cigarette quality for 30 years. And now the new Fatima is the best of long cigarettes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Our author for tonight, Gail Ingram, has written a startling tale especially for me. I didn't know the solution until I recalled the words of Fatima. Now... If you listen well to those words, you may solve the mystery before I do. Time is the essence. A fact misplaced in time conceals the truth. Those words are the key to tonight's tale of Fatima. And here it is. Time to kill. <laughs> Saturday night performance is over, and Basil Rathbone is leaving the theater accompanied by Oliver, his chauffeur. Got my bags, Oliver. Yes, Mr. Rathbone. I got your bags. And did you tell the stage manager I've been in Westchester over the weekend? Yes, boss. Well, after the weekend, Mr. Rathbone. Oh, that's right, Bert. See you Monday. Oh, don't rush. Stay for a month, if you like. Uh, the show'd close in three days. Oliver. Well, it would. But people come to see us, Basil Rathbone, not as understood. Oliver. Bert Randall here is a very fine actor indeed. Well, I like you better. <laughs> Frankly, Oliver, so do I. Cheerio, <laughs> Mr. Randall. Cheerio, dear boy. Oh, beautiful night for a drive to Westchester. Hey, somebody's shooting. And they're shooting at me. That one came close. Quick, Oliver, into the car. Seems we've made our getaway, Oliver. Now I want to phone Lieutenant Farrell and report this outrage. Basil. Oliver, is your voice changing? It's me, Basil, darling. It was. There's a dame in the back seat. <laughs> Why don't you get in the back seat too, Basil, honey? Uh, that's an enchanting invitation, I'm sure, but I make it a practice never to get into back seats with strange ladies. But I'm Bunny. Bunny? Oh, now, Basil, sweetie, please stop teasing. After those thrilling letters you've been sending to me all spring. Now, just a moment. Letters I've been sending you? Of course. To Chattanooga. Uh, uh, my dear young lady, I... Bunny. The name is Bunny. You can't do this to me, Basil. I've run away from home on account of those letters you wrote me. I've left my husband. Good heavens. Oliver, stop the car. Now, look here, madam. I never saw you before. I never wrote to you. It's all a fantastic mistake. I suppose you just hop out of the car and run along back to your husband. There's a good girl. All right, Basil. All right, sir, but you got no call to treat me like this. You got no call at all, and I won't let you get away with it. I'm warning you. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. So that's why I phoned you, Farrell. 
been quite an eventful evening. First I got shot at, and then I got involved with a strange blonde. Look, Rathbone, the blonde is your problem. Oh, thanks awfully. I'm only interested in the shooting. Well, the gunman's a very poor shot, thank goodness. About five bullets, and they all missed me. Well, that's pretty bad marksmanship. Have you any idea who might have done it? Of course not. Why should someone want to kill me? Maybe they saw your show. Uh, look, I'll investigate this thing. Meanwhile, uh, are you still going away for the weekend? Well, I don't know now. Uh, you go ahead. Start shooting at you. I always say there's no better time to get out of town. You may have a point there. All right, Farrell, I'm on my way. If you want me, I'll be up in Westchester at the Wayside. Uh, the what? The Wayside. It's a small hotel. <laughs> say, boss, this is a real nice hotel you made reservations for at. Hey, you want I should register? Uh, no, thanks, Oliver. I'll do it myself. Oh, uh, can I help you, sir? Yes, please. My name is Basil Rathbone. I have a reservation. Oh, Mr. Rathbone, of course. Uh, would you mind stepping into that telephone booth over there? Well, I did have a larger suite in mind. Uh, there's a long-distance call for you. New York. I'll have them switch it right over. Oh, yeah, thank you. Hello? Mr. Rathbone? Yes? Mr. Rathbone, you've got to come back to New York right away. You're the only person who could help me. I am? Yes. I'm at the Grace Hotel. Room 714. Hurry, please, while there's still time. Time for what? To save me. I, I've been threatened, Mr. Rathbone. I'm going to be killed, and I... Oh, no. No what? He's, he's here, Mr. Rathbone. He... No. No, please, I... No, no, no. Hello. Hello, what's happening there? It's already... Headquarters, quick, send an officer to Grace Hotel, room 714. Someone has just been murdered. Come on, Oliver. We're going back to New York right away. Down the car radio, will you, Oliver? There might be some news of the murder by now. Oh, sure. Uh, it's a terrible thing, that murder. A terrible thing. When I should look for a news broadcast? Oh, no, leave the music, Oliver. It's good to hear. It makes you forget bloodshed and murder. Hey, what happened? Ladies and gentlemen, an important announcement. What's this, Oliver? Basil Rathbone, noted stage motion picture and radio star, has just been discovered brutally murdered. We continue now with our regular program. <laughs> with an iron pipe. I'm glad they took the body away before I saw it. Tell me, was he badly mangled? Face smashed beyond recognition. But beyond recognition? Well, then how do you know it was Rathbone? Well, like I told you, Lieutenant, the hotel room was registered in his name. I found letters in the dead guy's pocket addressed to Basil Rathbone. Oh, I just can't believe it. Rathbone gone. Somehow I... 
kind of expecting to walk in and say, Hello, Farrell. Need some help? Hello, Farrell. Need some help? Rathbone, what are you doing here? I'm curious about my murder. Uh, where am I stretched out? In the next room? No, they took you to the morgue. I mean, well, I didn't think you were killed. Did you rent this room? Of course not. Well, it's registered in your name. The dead guy was evidently pretending to be Basil Rathbone. But why? I... Uh, wait a minute. Hold it. Yes? Who is this? Farrell, homicide. Who's this? My name is Mrs. Lionel Kroll, and I... Oh, did you say homicide? That's right. Then you've got to believe me. My husband didn't kill Mr. Rathbone. He didn't? No, please, you've got to believe me. My husband hardly knew Mr. Rathbone. He couldn't possibly have killed him. Please remember that. Goodbye. What was that all about? The woman says her husband didn't kill you. Oh, how interesting. Why don't we ask our husband? His opinion. Good idea. She said she was Mrs. Lionel Crawl. I'll have Crawl picked up right away. Oh, Lieutenant Farrell, a call just came through from headquarters. Well, uh, hold that a minute, Sergeant. I want to send out a general alarm for a man by the name of Lionel Crawl. I don't think that'll be necessary, sir. Oh, and just why don't you think that'll be necessary, sir? Because they've just identified the dead man. His name is Lionel Crawl. <laughs> apartment must be at the top of this right, Carol. Yeah. You know, this is really the kind of a job I hate, Rathbone. Telling a woman her husband's been murdered. I know. By the way, uh, have you sent out a denial of my death yet? After all, someone might just care. Well, now, relax, relax. The early morning papers probably have the right story by now. Good. Well, ring the bell. Sure, but I don't... Now, look, this is more up your alley. You tell Mrs. Crowell. Yes. Uh, oh, go ahead, Rathbone. Rathbone? Did you say Rathbone? Yes, I'm Basil Rathbone, Mrs. Crowell. You killed I... him. What? You killed my husband. Now, wait a minute, my dear lady. They just called me and told me it's my husband that's dead. And you killed him. Oh, now, look here. Why, I, I didn't even know your husband. How can you stand there and say you didn't know Lionel Crowell? Because I didn't know the... Oh, was... Was he the Lionel Crow who ran a correspondence course in dramatic art? Of course. Dramatic art? The Rathbone, those letters addressed to you, the ones in Crawl's pocket, they were about a dramatic course. I remember now that a Lionel Crow once came to ask me to endorse a course in dramatic art he was preparing, and I refused. That's the only time I ever met him. The but... only time? You had a date with him tonight. Tonight? You called my husband and told him to meet you at the Grace Hotel tonight. You said he... What's the matter? Look. You. It's a hand. A hand? Yes. Poking over the banister of the stairs. That won't duck. The hand's pointing a gun at you. Get down! He must be. It's that bad marksman practicing again. You stay here, Rathbone. I'm going after that guy. Mr. Rathbone, what is it? What's happening? I'm not sure, Mrs. Crowell. In fact, I'm only sure of one thing. What? I hope somebody catches that gunman before practice makes perfect. <laughs> back in just a moment with the second act of tonight's tale of Fatima. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Fatima is the long cigarette that's long on quality. You see, Fatima has all the advantages of a long cigarette, a cleaner, cooler, milder smoke. And in addition, Fatima has an advantage all its own, a really superb flavor, 
a different, better flavor because Fatima is a blend of more expensive tobaccos. So if you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Remember, Fatima is the long cigarette that's long on quality. to tonight's tale of Fatima, Time to Kill, starring Mr. Basil Rathbone. Farrell! Farrell! Rathbone, what are you doing out here in the street? I'm trying to find the gentleman who took those punch shots at me. Well, don't. You just stay out of sight. Finding that guy is my business. Well, how's business? Rotten. If I could just figure out... Why someone is trying to kill me. And while you're at it, figure out why Crow was pretending to be you. Maybe the answer to that lies in a closer investigation of Mr. Crow's affairs. How do you mean? Well, that correspondence course in dramatics he was connected with. I'd like to look into that. Well, I suppose we could check his office. Then suppose we do. Here's the office, Rathbone. Lionel Crawl, dramatic instruction. Now, look. The lock on the door has been broken. Open the door. Right. Look. There's a light on in the inner office. Come on. Now. All right, sister, come out from behind that desk. Good heavens. It's Bunny. It's who? Bunny. The woman who was hiding in my car. All right, Bunny. What's the rest of your name, and what are you doing here? Durkin, letters. What? My name is Durkin, and I'm here to get those letters I wrote you, Mr. Rathbone. I mean, that I thought I wrote you. And what makes you think you'll find your letters here in Kroll's office? Well, I just read in the early morning papers that it wasn't you that was killed, but Mr. Kroll. So I figured out that Mr. Kroll must have been pretending to be you. What's that got to do with the letters? Well, don't you see? I found them here in Mr. Kroll's desk. I must have been writing to him, not you. But I thought it was you. I addressed the letters to Basil Rathbone at a post office box number in New York, and you answered them. I mean, I guess Mr. Crowell answered them in your name, just like he taught the dramatic course in your name. Oh, now, now, just a minute. Let's start at the beginning. What dramatic course? Why, the most expensive dramatic correspondence course in America. It cost a lot because the mimeographed lessons were sent straight from... Basil Rathbone himself. How interesting. And if a student had a special question, she could get it answered personally by Basil Rathbone. Oh, you don't say. For more money. And then I took a special postgraduate course, and that cost even more money. Hmm. This Kroll chap seems to have made more money out of Basil Rathbone than I have. That's how I got to writing kind of uh, personal letters to Basil Rathbone. And now I've just got to get those letters back. If they came out in this murder investigation so my husband knew about them, why, well, I declare he'd just kill little old me. What we want to know is, who killed little old Crow? You know? Me? Why, Mr. Rathbone, you're just teasing me, aren't you? Sure, sure. Come on down to headquarters and he'll tease you some more. Meanwhile, I'm booking you as a material witness in the murder of Lionel Crow. <laughs> I see. 
Did go away. Oh, blast. Hello. Oh, Mr. Rathbone, this is Bert Randall. I'm sorry to have to call you this early in the morning. Early? It's the crack of dawn. Well, not really. Yes, really. I just heard it crack. Yes, but, Mr. Rathbone, this is important. What is? Well, I just came over here to the theater to get some clothes in my dressing room, and I I saw a man sneak out of your dressing room. After that shooting episode, I thought I'd better tell you. You think he's the man who did the shooting? I don't know. He looked dangerous. I thought you might like to investigate. I never like to investigate men who look dangerous, but I think I'd better. I'll be right over. Hello? Anyone here? Hello? Hello. Who... Who are you? Can't you guess? I guess you were the gentleman who's been using me for target practice. You guess right. And I still got my gun. By the way, I've never been much good at long range, but I'm mighty good close up. And I'm close up now. Uh, well, look here... Uh... Why are you trying to kill me? I mean, I don't even know who you are. My name's Sam Durkin. Durkin? Oh, you're Bunny's husband. By the time you realize Bunny had a husband, Bunny doesn't know it, but I saw those love letters you wrote her. You trifled with her affections. And where I come from, that's reason enough to kill a man. And that's what I'm going to do. Now. Now, Mr. Durkin. Stand still, Rathbone. But you see... That's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not Rathbone. What do you mean? Well, didn't you hear the radio? Basil Rathbone's dead. He was brutally murdered. Well, then, who are you? Me? Oh, I, uh, I'm his understudy. You look like Rathbone. Yes. People have awful com- often commented on how much I look like Basil Rathbone. They say the resemblance is uncanny. You see, Rathbone's dead. That's right. That's right. He, he's lying in the funeral parlor right now. Terrible thing. Great loss to the theater. It's no loss to anyone. He trifled with my wife. Oh, I can't believe that at Basil. He wasn't that type of chap at all. You're his understudy? That's right. Uh, you're his understudy. Guess I got no call to kill you. No call at all. Sorry. Oh, that's quite all right, old man. Now, if you'll just excuse me. I didn't me. see anyone upstairs, but I. Good heavens, that's the man, Mr. Rathbone. Oh, you stupid bonehead. So you are Basil Rathbone. Yes, he's Basil Rathbone. Who are you? I'm Mr. Rathbone's understudy. Who are you? I'm the man who's going to shoot Mr. Rathbone right now. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah, do it. I've got him, Bert. Get his gun. I've got it. He must be the man who was shooting at you before. Yes, but I don't think I'm going to give him any more practice. I think I'll turn him over to Farrell right away. All right, Durkin. Suppose you start answering questions. Well, I only tried to kill Rathbone here. He trifled with my wife's affection. For the last time, Durkin, crow trifled with your wife's affections. You really ought to know that, Durkin, considering you killed Crow. I didn't kill Crow. And I suppose you have an alibi for 120 last night. 120? Well, let's see. 
At 1.20, I was at a bar called the Green Turtle. You can ask the bartender there. Ah, okay, Sergeant. Lock him up and check his story and get back to me. Right, sir. Come on, you. This is an outrage. Sure, sure, it's an outrage, but come on. But I got an alibi. Everybody's got an alibi. What do you mean? I just let Bunny Durkin go. She proved she was at the movies with another woman last night at 1.20. Mrs. Kroll was with friends at home. Well, then, who could... Farrell. What about Bert? Bert Randall, your understudy? That's right. After all, he was the one who got me down to the theater today and into Durkin's hands. Might have been just chance, but it might have been planned that way. Oh, no, no, you can forget Randall, Rathbone. He's got the perfect alibi. He was visiting a friend way across town from the Grace Hotel at about 125. According to you, the murder was committed at 120 while you listened. Uh, Randall couldn't possibly have killed Kroll and gotten across town in five minutes. Well, is the friend absolutely sure of the time Bert showed up at his place? Absolutely. How do you know? I was the friend. I still don't understand, Farrell. Why was Bert Randall visiting you? He just happened to drop into headquarters. He wanted to know if I had any news on the guy who shot at you as you left the theater last night. He, he was worried about you. Oh, Farrell, this is ridiculous. Someone must have committed the crime at 120. Look, are you sure the crime was committed at 120? Glanced at my watch as I hung up the phone. I suppose I could have misread it, but uh, I doubt it. So do I. Wait. The Grace Hotel operator would have a record of the call to me at Westchester, and she might have noted the exact time. We could check. Hey, we sure could. Come on. <laughs> Hotel. Yes, madam. One moment, please. Excuse me, operator. Yeah? And uh, maybe see your long-distance time sheet for last night, please. Well, I... Hey. You're Basil Rathbone. Yes, quite. But you oh, see, well, I, that I've settles got... it. I had a fight with my girlfriend. She said you were dead, and I said it was a mistake. So I'm right, huh? Yes, you're right. Boy, am I glad. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Now she owes me a dollar. Uh, miss, please, may we see the long-distance timesheet for last night? Well, that woman over there just asked for it, too. I told her I couldn't give it out, but um, since you're a cop... Now, look. Over there, it's Mrs. Crow. You check the timesheet, Ratbone. I'm going to talk to that lady. All right. Good evening, Mrs. Crow. Good evening, Lieutenant. I understand you're interested in the telephone operator's timesheet. I have a right to investigate the murder. Oh, don't you like the way the police are doing it? You think my husband was using Mr. Rathbone's name illegally? He wasn't. He had a legitimate dramatic school business and he was framed. Carol, find out something, Rathbone? Plenty. According to that timesheet there, there's no record of any call from the hotel to Westchester last night. <gasps> the lights! They've gone out! All right, all right, everybody, stay where you are. Stay where you are. <laughs> Somebody screamed. Put on the lights, somebody. Put on the lights. There. Yeah, that's better. Uh, watch that switch, Rathbone, so nobody touches it again. Right. All right, now. All right. Nobody leave this lobby till we get to the bottom of this. Rathbone, where's that timesheet? Somebody took it, fellow, when the lights went out. All right. Whoever took it, hand it over. You heard what the lieutenant said, Mrs. Crow. Hand it over. I was just going to, Mr. Rathbone. 
Here, Lieutenant. I took it when the lights went out. It was lying on the desk, and I didn't want anybody to steal it. That's a likely story. Who screamed? I did. I felt someone trying to tear the timesheet out of my hand. Oh, now, look. Would somebody please tell me what's so important about this timesheet? Very good question, Farrell. Why should anyone want to conceal the fact... Oh, good heavens. Of course. Of course. In the words of Fatima, time is the essence. The fact misplaced in time conceals the truth. Why didn't I think of that before? Ladies and gentlemen, those words of Fatima that I just recalled will help me solve tonight's mystery. Time is the essence. A fact misplaced in time conceals the truth. Now, can you guess who killed Lionel Crow? Hmm? Back to Mr. Basil Rathbone for the exciting conclusion of tonight's tale of Fatima. Why didn't you think of what before, Rathbone? Carol, there was no call made from the Grace Hotel to me at 120. But you got a phone call at 120? Exactly, but it didn't come from here. So it couldn't have come at the actual time of the murder because the murder was committed here. Well, then what did you hear over the phone? A reconstruction of the crime, Carol. An act by an actor. You mean Bert Randall? Exactly. Quite some time after he killed Crowley, phoned me and reenacted the killing, calling from a booth right near headquarters. But why? So he could rush right in to see Farrell and establish a perfect alibi. Oh. But of course, to make it stick, he had to destroy the timesheet. Ah, oh, no, you can't make that stick, Rathbone. Randall wasn't here just now when the timesheet was swiped. He must be here. I suggest you look in the only possible hiding place behind that switchboard. What? Oh, now, Rathbone, you're nuts. No, he's not, Lieutenant. Randall. All right. What's the story? Well, that's easy, Farrell. He was conducting the dramatic course using my name, not Crow. He merely copied Crow's mimeographed lessons. I told you. I told you my husband had an honest business. He had nothing to do with this. He had one thing to do with it, Mrs. Crow. He found out Randall was stealing his lessons, so Randall lured him to the hotel here and killed him to keep him quiet. I get it. And then planted the letters and papers on him so it would seem Crow was conducting the racket. Oh, you going to deny that, Randall? No, Lieutenant. I'm an actor. I know an exit cue when I hear one. Shall we go? Mr. Rathbone, I just wanted to remind you the name is still Bunny. In case you might want to look me up sometime. Uh, look you up? Uh-huh. How's about hopping the Chattanooga choo-choo? Well, I'd like to, dear girl, but I've already booked passage on a slow boat to China. Join us again next week when we'll have another exciting tale of Fatima. Right, Mr. Rathbone? Yes, indeed. Fatima helps me solve an amazing tale that began when a door opened... And reached its climax when a killer closed the door and laughed. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello there. This is Basil Rathbone. I'm so glad you can be with Fatima and me tonight. She helps me solve an uncanny tale that began when a poisoned drink was poured and reached its climax when a dead man came to life. <laughs> The Tales of Fatima, a new series of exciting mystery stories starring that distinguished actor, Mr. Basil Rathbone. Before we begin tonight's tale, I've got something to say to you. If you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the new Long Fatima. You see, the name Fatima has stood for the best in cigarette quality for 30 years. And now the new Fatima is the best of long cigarettes. Ladies and gentlemen, if you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Our author for tonight, Gail Ingram, has written an astonishing mystery especially for me. I didn't know the solution until I recalled the words of Fatima. In the words of Fatima, habit is law. We are all of us slaves to a habit. Those words are the key to tonight's tale of Fatima. And here it is, a much-expected murder. The evening performance is over. And Basil Rathbone is in his dressing room with Lavender, the wardrobe mistress. Oh, Lavender, I'm glad it's time to go home. I'm tired. It's a nasty night out, Mr. Rathbone. A wonderful night out to be in bed. Thank goodness nobody wants me to solve any cases. Come in. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? You can drop the case. Drop the case? Or I'll have to drop you. With this gun. Mr. Rathbone, I think he means it. Believe me, I do. Will you drop the case? I'd be enchanted, old fellow, but except that I, I haven't a case to drop, and I'd, I'd much prefer not being killed for something I'm not doing. Mr. Rathbone, you're a very fine actor, but don't play dumb with me. I give you fair warning. Pursue this investigation further, and you'll be killed. But, but what's the investigation he's supposed not to pursue? Uh, never mind, Lavender. It's no use. What's no use? We can't fool this gentleman. I'll drop the case. Huh? Now you're being smart, Mr. Rathbone. Just leave Mrs. Dawson alone. Mrs. Dawson? Yes, Lavender, Mrs. Dawson. You remember Mrs. Dawson? Oh, Mrs. Dawson. Just remember, don't try to help Mrs. Dawson. Good night. Mr. Rathbone, have you been holding out on me? Who's Mrs. Dawson? Lavender, I haven't the faintest idea. Hello? Hello, Mr. Rathbone. This is Mrs. Dawson. Who? Mrs. Dawson. This is Mr. Rathbone, isn't it? I, uh, I think so. Mr. Rathbone, I'm in terrible trouble, and I thought maybe you'd help me. Uh, help you in what way? Well, I can't tell you over the phone, but I live on Upper Lake Road. Could you come out and see me right away, please? It's a matter of life and death. So I understand. My life or death. Oh, no, there's no danger. But if you come, you may be able to keep someone from dying. I, I see. Well, in that case, I can hardly refuse, can I? Oh, Thank you, Mr. Rathbone. I'll leave immediately. 
Rathbone, all these woods. Are we still in New York City? The outskirts, yes. That must be Dawson's house there. For sakes, what a terrible night. All this rain and thunder. Well, should we go? I suppose we have to. Mr. Rathbone. Yes? I'm scared. Then go back to the car. I will not. Ring the doorbell. I'm just going to. I... Mr. Rathbone, the door's opening. You are strangers. Uh, why, yes, uh, but strangers we... Strangers aren't welcome here. Uh, but we were invited. Better leave now. But Mrs. Dawson said... While that... you are still alive. Mr. Rathbone. Bad things happen in this house. It's an evil house. People die in this house. Miss Marjorie? Miss Marjorie, who's there? Oh, Mr. Rathbone. Uh, yes. I'm Mrs. Dawson. Please, come in out of the rain. Miss Marjorie, go to your room. But... Go to your room. It's dangerous for strangers to come in. People die in this house. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Rathbone. Miss Marjorie, she's my husband's sister... Is a little peculiar. A little? Uh, uh, Lavender, um, is Miss Marjorie what you wanted to see me about, Mrs. Dawson? No. It's my husband. Mr. Rathbone, he's dying of a very peculiar disease. Oh, you have my deepest sympathy, Mrs. Dawson, but why call on me? Why not a doctor? We have a doctor, but he doesn't seem to know what the trouble is. Nobody but you can help, Mr. Rathbone. What do you mean? There's something strange happening. My husband is keeping something from me, some sort of a secret. And I have a feeling that if I knew that secret, I'd be able to save his life. But my... Don't you see, I can't call the police. He wouldn't tell a policeman his secret. But you're different. You can persuade him. Appeal to him. My dear lady, Won't I... you... Won't you try to find out his secret? Please. Well, I, I'd like to help oh, you, Oh, but... thank you so much. He's right in this room here. Uh, uh, just a minute, Mrs. Dawson. What is it? Don't go in there. Why not? Because if your husband's keeping some secret from you, I think it might be better for me to talk to him alone. But, Mr. Dawson, if this doctor doesn't know what's wrong with you, why not call in another doctor, a specialist? I tell you, it's no use, Mr. Rathbone. But why not? And, and what's the secret you're keeping from your wife? There's no secret. She says there is. She's afraid it may cost you your life. It will cost my life, but there's no secret. What, what do you mean? I, I'm not dying of any rare malady, Mr. Rathbone. I'm dying of, of poison. What? I've been eating poison food for some time now. Well, I, I didn't realize it until two days ago. But then it, it was too late. The job was done. But I don't understand. Who's poisoning you? My wife... Oh, now, Mr. Dawson. And it's not the first time she's done it, either. She poisoned her first husband, too. And got away with it? Yes. But that's impossible. No. No, it's not. She got away with murder the first time because she knew a brilliant young chemist who concocted a slow-acting poison that left no traces whatsoever. Oh, good heavens. The chemist was crazy about her. He showed her how to administer the poison. And it gradually snuffed out her husband's, that is, her first husband's life. Just as it's snuffing out mine now. 
But I don't understand, Mr. Dawson. How can you know all this? How can you be sure it was murder? This poison you talk about left no trace. Surely your wife didn't tell you about her first husband and the chemist? She didn't have to, Mr. Rathbone. Well, why not? I was the chemist. <laughs> That's the story, Lavender, so we'd better get in touch with Farrell fast. Where'd you leave the car? It's so dark, I can't hardly make out a thing. Here it is. Hop in quickly. Just a minute, Mr. Rathbone. Who's there? We've met before. It's the man who came to your dressing room tonight with a gun. Right you are, and I've still got the gun. I believe I told you to keep your nose out of this, Rathbone. Yes, I believe you did. I meant it. Now, unless you're anxious to be killed. Oh, I'm not. I, I'm I'm only anxious to... Get that gun away from you. No, you don't. Stop him, Mr. Rathbone. boy, Mr. Rathbone. Mr. Rathbone, what are you running away for? Mr. Rathbone, he's flat on his back. Oh, no, he isn't, Lavender. I am. <laughs> Rathbone, why is it that you always have to come up with these fascinating problems at three o'clock in the morning? Oh, don't be unreasonable, Farrell. <sighs> Just suggesting that the body of Mrs. Dawson's first husband should be disinterred for examination. And that Mrs. Dawson be arrested for murder. Uh, now, look, you two. I'll be glad to arrest Mrs. Dawson. I'll be glad to disinter her first husband. But first, I need one small bit of information. I've got to know who her first husband was. Pity's sake, I clean forgot that. Well, I didn't. The boys are checking now. They have... Yes, Sergeant? On that uh, Mrs. Dawson, Lieutenant, about her first husband? Yes? She didn't have one. She was never married before. Good morning, Mr. Rathbone. Good morning, Miss Lavender. Good morning. Mrs. Dawson, I owe you an apology. Oh? When I left here last night, I believed you had poisoned your first husband. What? That's what Mr. Dawson told us. I realize now that Mr. Dawson was in a very weakened condition when he spoke to us last night. Seems like his mind's been affected by his illness. He told us a totally imaginary story. But maybe if we face him with it, he'll tell us the truth now. May we talk to him again, please, Mrs. Dawson? I'm afraid not, Mr. Rathbone. You see, Mr. Dawson died during the night. We'll be back in just a moment for the second act of tonight's tale of Fatima. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Fatima is the long cigarette that's long on quality. You see, Fatima has all the advantages of a long cigarette. A cooler, cleaner, milder smoke. And in addition, Fatima has an advantage all its own. A really superb flavor. A different, better flavor. Because Fatima is a blend of more expensive tobaccos. For many years, Fatima was a higher-priced cigarette. But now you can have Fatima quality at no additional cost. Remember, Fatima is the long cigarette... That's long on quality. So if you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima.
Now, back to tonight's tale of Fatima, a much-expected murder starring Mr. Basil Rathbone. Mr. Dawson died. Good heavens. I'm terribly sorry, Mrs. Dawson. It's an awful shock, Mr. Rathbone. Of course, I knew he was ill, but... Well, it, it's always a shock. Does the doctor have any idea yet of what Mr. Dawson's illness really was? He gave the cause of death as a heart attack. Heart attack? I thought it was a very strange diagnosis. I don't know what to make of it, but that's what the doctor said. Could the doctor have deliberately made out an inaccurate death certificate for some reason? Oh, no, that's not possible. I've known Dr. Rand for years. He's an old bull of mine, a close family friend. As a matter of fact, he's here right now. He was good enough to stay on to take over for me and to tend the terrible details. I see, yes. Well, I'd like very much to talk to him, if you don't mind. Not at all. He's right across the hall in the study. Thank you. Come along, Lavender. Excuses, Mrs. Dawson. This must be the study here. Dr. Ran? Yes. What do you want? Uh, my name is Beth. Good heavens. Great day in the morning. It's the man who pulled a gun on us. What are you two doing here? I told you to keep away from this house. I know you did, Doctor. But I'm very nosy by nature. Yes, and mercy, it's swollen, too, after that wallop you stopped last night. You'd better clear out, Rathbone, or you'll stop another one. I don't think so. Fortunately, I spot Alexander Graham Bell's gift to unarmed detectives. A telephone on the desk. I think I'll just pick it up and call Lieutenant Farrell of Homicide. Put down that phone. Certainly. After I tell Lieutenant Farrell to arrest you for the murder of Mr. Dawson, I Will you put down that phone? My dear chap. Do you want to spoil everything? I don't want to spoil anything. Dawson is dead. Listen to me, you stubborn fool. Dawson isn't dead at all. Say that again, please. Dawson isn't dead at all. Now put down that phone before you ruin everything. Lavender, call the doctor. I think I'm going mad. I guess I have no other choice but to explain the whole plan to you now. I would be everlastingly grateful if you would. It started about two weeks ago. Dawson called me in and told me in strict confidence that he believed he was being poisoned. No, he told me that too. By his wife with some rare exotic poison he invented. Oh, no, 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 not that. That was just a wild tale we made up to get you out of the house last night so he could pretend to die undisturbed. <laughs> He's right in the next room. I have him waiting there. A hearse should be along shortly, and we'll smuggle him out of the house that way. Oh, how ingenious. Uh, through this door here? Uh, yeah. Call the doctor. I think I'm going mad. I guess I have no other choice but to explain the whole plan to you now. I would be everlastingly grateful if you would. It started about two weeks ago. Dawson called me in and told me in strict confidence that he believed he was being poisoned. Oh, he told me that, too. By his wife with some rare exotic poison he invented. Oh, no, 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 not that. That was just a wild tale we made up to get you out of the house last night so he could pretend to die undisturbed. <laughs> He's right in the next room. I have him waiting there. A hearse should be along shortly, and we'll smuggle him out of the house that way. Oh, how ingenious. Uh, through this door here? Uh, yeah. Ah, here we are. Mr. Dawson? Uh, Mr. Dawson? Oh, the poor man's fallen asleep. The strain of dying must have been too much for him. Yes, I guess so. Uh, Mr. Dawson? Wake up! Wake up, I... What's the matter? Lavender. I've got to call Farrell. Call Farrell? Yes. Mr. Dawson is really dead this time. Look. His throat's been cut. 
Farrell talking. Uh, Lieutenant, this is Rathbone. No. Yes. Look, Farrell, I've just found... Ah, don't tell me. You've just come across a body. Lieutenant, you have now answered the first question correctly. Now, if you'll come out to the Dawson house on the Upper Lake Road, I'll let you have a try at the jackpot question. What's that? Who done it? Farrell will be over right away, Lavender. Oh, good. I told the doctor to keep quiet about the whole thing, like you told me to. Uh, did you also tell him to watch the front door so that no one would get out, like I told you to? Yes, and we can see the back door from here. We can also see the corpse from here. I see I prefer not to share such, such close quarters with him. Keeps uh, looking at me. It's this half-light. I just... <gasps> What's the matter, Lavender? Mr. Rathbone, the door over there is opening. Get down. Down where? Behind this desk. Mercy, who do you... Miss Marjorie, dead man's sister. She's got a gun. Lavender, she's mad. Completely and utterly mad. She's going to shoot the dead man. Miss Marjorie, no, don't! Man's sake, she shot him through the head. So I did. I shot him through the head. Miss Marjorie, give me that gun. Of course. Here. Now, if you'll just explain. There's nothing to explain. I confess to everything. I shot him because he was no good. He deserved to die. But why? What have you got against your brother? My brother? My brother's dead already. Did I shoot my brother? Of course you did. It's the light. I couldn't see in the light. I thought I shot the other one. The one who killed my brother. Who? Who killed your brother? Why, that bad, bad man, of course, Dr. Rand. Now, see here, Sergeant Farrell. It's Lieutenant, Lieutenant Farrell, please. Well, see here, Lieutenant, this entire questioning is an insult. Who's being insulting? You called me a sergeant. And you called me a murderer. Miss Marjorie called you that also, Dr. Rand. Mr. Rathbone, I said it before, I will say it once again. Miss Marjorie is mentally incompetent. How can you for one moment believe that I killed Dawson just because she says so? Now, Dr. Rand, listen. Probably the person who cut Dawson's throat is the same one who was trying to poison him. So we're looking for the poisoner. You've been looking for the poisoner. Let's work together. Well, very well, if you put it that way. You and the sergeant here. The lieutenant. Lieutenant Dennis are for Robert Farrell, and remember it. Now, who killed Dawson? Candidate number one, Miss Marjorie, who may not be as unbalanced as she seems. You mean maybe that phony shooting was just a red herring? Exactly, a clever hoax to throw us off guard. But if so, what's the motive? Does Miss Marjorie stand to gain anything by Dawson's death, Doctor? She stands to gain considerable. Dawson was well-to-do. He left his estate half to Miss Marjorie and half to his wife. Mm. Uh, what about Mrs. Dawson? Does she have a motive for murder? No, she's innocent, absolutely innocent. She didn't do it. And how do you know she didn't? Because she just didn't. She's a wonderful woman. A fine, gentle woman. She couldn't possibly commit a murder, and I refuse to allow you to consider it. You refuse to allow me to consider it. 
What right have you got to refuse to allow me to consider something? I'll consider anything I want to. And uh, what I'm considering right now is that you're making a lot of noise about the innocent Mrs. Dawson. Too much noise. Why are you protecting her? I'm not protecting her, but I say she's innocent. And I say I'm not sure. Ah! What was that? Mr. Rathbone, It's Lavender. Come on, Carol. Let's go, Will. Give me that happy. No, no. Give me that go. Lavender, Lavender, what is it? Mrs. Dawson, uh, Miss Lavender, what's going on here? I caught this woman trying to make a getaway. You did? How about that, Mrs. Dawson? I haven't the vaguest idea what she's babbling about. She says, dear lady, she caught you trying to sneak out of the house. With this bundle under her arm. What's in the bundle? I don't know. I found it in the upstairs hall. I thought it might be important, so I was bringing it to you. Bringing it to you? Mercy sakes, she was headed for the front door. I thought Mr. Rathbone was in the front room. Poppycock! It's not poppycock. Ladies, ladies, save the cat fight. Oh. What's in this bundle? Let's open it and find out. All right. Here. Thank you. I... Good Lord. Well, 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 well. The murder knife. Oh, take it away. A pair of blood-stained gloves. Turned inside out. What a careless way to leave gloves. Whose gloves are these, Mrs. Dawson? I can't look. I'm sorry, but you'll have to. This is important. Whose gloves are they? Why, the... Come on, tell us. They're my sister-in-law's. They're Miss Marjorie's. Lieutenant Farrow. Huh? Oh, oh, good, Sergeant. Got Miss Marjorie there? Well, uh, no, sir. Well, well, why not? I told you to bring her in for questioning. Well, I know you did, sir, and I tried to find her, but she's not in the house. Then look outside the house. I did that too, sir, but she's not there either. She's not anywhere. She's just playing God. Mr. Rathbone, what are you up to now? I'm looking for Miss Marjorie, Lavender. Up here on the top floor? Anywhere. Farrell and his men are combing the grounds outside, and I promised him that I'd do a little combing inside. You've searched the place from cellar to garret. But I haven't searched the garret. Come on. All right, but I don't approve. Every time you look for a murderer, you land up to your ears in hot water. Oh, don't worry, Lavender. The grounds are swarming with policemen. We couldn't be safer. How about these attic stairs here? Do you call that an attic? Mm, it does look a bit like a tomb, doesn't it? Come along, but watch yourself. These steps are treacherous. All right, I... What's the matter? Oh, walked into a cobweb. Here we are. Where are we? Top of the flight. There's nobody here. Let's go back down. Oh, oh, Lavender, really? Well, mercy, Miss Marjorie may be crazy, but I'll bet she has sense enough not to hide in a gloomy cave like this. You know, I bet Miss Marjorie has quite a bit of sense, Lavender. After all, mentally unsound people are usually the craftiest of all killers. That's why I'm a little puzzled about one thing. What? That bundle we found with a knife and gloves in it. There's something out of character there. It doesn't seem possible that she would just leave it at Oh, good heavens. Of course. Of course. In the words of Fatima, habit is law. We are all of us slaves to a habit. Why didn't I think of that before? Habit! What? Lavender. Got the answer now. I know who the murderer is. You do? Well, mercy sakes. Shh. What? I heard something. 
someone's coming. here in the attic with us. We'll be back in just a moment with the exciting conclusion of tonight's tale of Fatima. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll like smoking the new long Fatima cigarette. You see, Fatima has all the advantages of a long cigarette. And in addition, Fatima has a really superb flavor, a different, better flavor. You see, Fatima is a blend of more expensive tobaccos. It's the long cigarette that's long on quality. So if you smoke a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Back to Mr. Basil Rathbone for the exciting conclusion of tonight's tale of Fatima. Lavender, it's the murderer. The murderer is here in the attic with us. Oh, Mr. Rathbone, we'll be killed. That crazy woman will just shoot us on the spot. She... Someone's turned on the lights. I did, Mr. Rathbone. Dr. Rand. <laughs> What are you two doing, crouching here in the dark? We were waiting to be killed. I mean, well, if you're the murderer, why aren't you carrying a gun? Because I'm not the murderer. Miss Marjorie's downstairs. They just found her, and Lieutenant Farrell is questioning her now. I'm delighted to hear that, Dr. Rand. That they found Miss Marjorie? No, that you're not carrying a gun. Why does that delight you? Because then I feel perfectly free to say that despite your act of innocence, it's you and not Miss Marjorie who is the murderer. Oh, now, Mr. Rathbone, really? You killed Dawson, and I can prove it. And just how can you prove it? You tried to make it look as though Miss Marjorie had murdered Dawson by using her gloves for the killing. But a little thing called habit tripped you up. What are you talking about, Mr. Rathbone? Those blood-stained gloves we found were turned inside out. A woman removes her gloves by pulling them loose from the fingertips. But a doctor, a surgeon, peels them off inside out, particularly after he's completed an operation. An operation like slitting a throat. Oh, nonsense. You can't accuse a man of murder on flimsy evidence like that. There's other evidence. For example, Doctor, you were the only one who knew Dawson's first death was a trick. No one but you would have bothered to slit his throat. All the others believed him dead already. What about the person who was poisoning him? Ah, you gave yourself away there too, Doctor. When you learned Dawson was being poisoned, you should have reported it to the police. Why didn't he? Because he was the poisoner. And Dawson realized he was being poisoned. Our friend here pretended it was someone else in the house. But, but why did he cook up that phony death business? That was very clever of him, Lavender. With everybody thinking Dawson was dead, the doctor could kill him at leisure. Only we walked in. Exactly. Our presence here forced his hand, so he pulled that very hasty job with the knife and that... A very clumsy attempt to throw suspicion on Miss Marjorie. How about that, Doctor? Am I right? You're a meddling fool. I beg your pardon? I loved her. I've always loved her. Mrs. Dawson? I wanted to marry her, but Dawson wouldn't give her a divorce, and she wouldn't leave him, so I killed him. And I won't let you spoil it. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! I'll kill you. He's not carrying a gun this time. Remember what happened last time? Remember! Don't... Mr. Rathbone, you did it. You knocked him out this time. So I did. But you know, Lavender, 
I could have knocked Dr. Rand out the first time if I hadn't been prevented. What prevented you? Dr. Rand. <laughs> And that was a hardcore dose of the fabulous Basil Rathbone as Basil Rathbone, man of mystery, ladies' man, and acclaimed actor. <laughs> Who else would you call if you thought someone wanted to murder you? Basil Rathbone, of course. How do you have? Perhaps Blue Ribbon. Well, anyway, this will be my last episode for a few weeks. I'm off now to finish work on The Adventures of Alfred Hitchcock Part 2, which I hope will be with you sometime in June or very early July. I'm very excited about Part 2 because it covers my favourite period in his life, a really crazy time. It will be shorter than Part 1, but no less eventful, trust me. So until then, do please keep leaving your iTunes reviews. I read them all. Do follow me on Twitter at at C or at Movie Histories. If you hear anyone cast around for podcast recommendations I'd be super grateful if you'd mention my two shows and I will be back with you as soon as I possibly can so until then bye for now Gaylord 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 Have you got any coffee? Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Woods, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Harvey Smith, Ike Arnold, Steve Arquette, Thomas Miller, Jim and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before, 